At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. This is the podcast where we look at educational, experimental caught films, the stranger end of documentaries. Uh, this is Matt with me today as a man who has his own podcast that's Macro Aggressions and recently has the book out, uh, The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Hello, Charlie Robinson. Hello. And Good to see you for, again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining today. Um, today, we, of course, had a look at Monsanto's House of the Future from 1957, this being the, the vintage-specific film. You, you can find other things made later that probably give you more information and more, um, you know, a slicker presentation. But we're going for feel here. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> Charlie, like I asked you, could you give us that four or five, um, you know, summary of what we just watched? Well, what we watched, you know, it's what's funny is that to me, Monsanto had all, is always like a poison company. So I didn't, I never really thought of them as a plastics company. And yet here what they are building this futurist, this house of the future in Tomorrowland in Disneyland, this, uh, you know, weird kind of, uh, well, I guess at the time it must've, it must've been very Jetsons-esque in their presentation. Everything's going to be so strange and look at all these features. And a lot of it got incorporated into our way of life now. And so it's really not as strange. Um, you know, they, uh, Tomorrowland at, at Disneyland was always, you know, showing the, the futuristic side, but they never, they didn't really update it for a, a whole long time. So I remember when I was a kid going there, I would think, the future kind of sucks, you know, it looks kind of weird, you know, it's not really built out very well. And it, I, I get it. They're trying to do some, 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 you know, space mountain look kind of funky, but, but the Monsanto house of the future kind of just, um, if I had to summarize it in, in one sentence it is the future in, in the future, everything will be made out of plastic, you know? And so that is both terrifying and, pretty unsustainable of course now we're in this sort of green new world and uh and when you look back on that you think oh i mean when i look at that i go oh, i wonder how much that plastic was off gassing for the you know for the first 20 years of its existence there and um probably not the healthiest environment for people to be uh raised in but um but all in all i mean not the worst thing monsanto's ever done God knows their list of, of horrible things is fairly long. This house was a little on the on the mild side by comparison. I mean, when your claim to fame is, you know, Agent Orange, then really anything other than that is kind of a step in the right direction. So I, I wasn't as horrified uh, with this house as I thought I was going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm no fan of Monsanto. We know that, but, but, um, but it was, it was, it was kind of a, you know, it kind of had a little Jetsons feel to it. I could, I could, uh, uh, you know what it actually reminded me of? I'm a real estate agent. I, I run a real estate brokerage and um, I saw a house that came on the market 
they, um, they, they hired me to be the listing agent for it. And it was, I mean, the lady who lived there had been there for 40 years. She just passed away. Her, her kids were full grown, you know, in their fifties and they were having to sell the house. And they said, well, we'd like for you to sell it. And I felt like I walked into a time capsule that was kind of like that Monsanto house of the future, like orange countertops, green carpet. I was kind of impressed with the fact that they kept the carpet as, as, as it looked as good as it did because it had to have been the original carpet. It was an unsellable house in, in every way you could. I mean, it was just the weirdest house I've ever seen. And yet um, it was modern for the time it was built in 1971. So I would imagine that, uh, you know, if Monsanto had decided to get out of the poison business and into the home building business in the fifties, uh, they might've done pretty well, you know, who knows? Maybe. Um, I, I don't. This, of course, this movie didn't have it. But uh, are you aware of the fate of the Monsanto House of the Future? It only ran about five years. They closed it. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't get rid of it. Right. They had to like jackhammer it out piece by piece because it wouldn't come out. Apparently, in um, yeah, the wrecking ball uh, so would just like bounce off. The the wrecking ball <laughs> bounced off is what they said. <laughs> Which uh, that, that I mean that, so. That's a metaphor for Monsanto. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess like there might be something to be said for, for, for that being, you know, something built to last. But uh, unfortunately, if you ever want to get rid of it, you, you couldn't light it on fire and burn it to the ground. I think it would just probably melt and the fumes would kill everybody. But uh, yeah, they had to dismantle it kind of piece by piece uh, and jackhammer out all of the, the foundation as well. And then I forget what it went on, went on to be, but it's, um, I think it's something close to like where the over by where the Matterhorn is. So yeah, actually, actually I've only been to um, Tokyo in in uh, Florida, so I haven't mm. haven't been to the OG Disneyland. And and I'll put out here, I mean, you know, uh, there's there's lots of horrible things to say about Disney too. But yeah, everybody likes going to Disneyland. Well, almost everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Southern, I grew up in Southern California. So that was the place to go. So that Disneyland was, was the spot and Tomorrowland was always a, you know, you know, when you're a little kid and you see that and you think, wow, this is what the future is going to be. Well, I mean, I'm now in, I'm living in the future and it doesn't, doesn't look anything like Tomorrowland. Uh, I don't see anybody with masks on. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Well, you will if you go to Tomorrowland now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tomorrowland is, uh, is Groundhog Day. Well, the, the, yeah, the concern was already always it was going to be like Todayland. So yeah, um, right. in the '90s they did update it to like this kind of weird, like cheap Flash Gordon look, which didn't work, and they just occasionally have to change it. Um, Tokyo went with the okay, it's just going to be the '70s future forever, which that, that's Great. cool. I love Logan's Run. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so, so there is something kind of nostalgic about that. They, I mean, they should just kept it and then just call it, you know, yesterday land or something, but um, the way they envisioned the future is, is uh, you know, I, I guess that they got some things right. They had some of the, the appliances look kind of uh, kind of like they might fit uh, the, the layouts were, were fairly similar to what we had now, but the fact that almost everything in the house was made out of plastic. I mean, that would be my, my business partners are um, 
interior, uh, one of them is an interior designer. She, I'm, she could do some work with that house. I'm sure she could, she could make it work, but, but all that plastic and no ceramic or anything like that, I think would make her insane. I, I, well, I guess we, people are so much more conscious of that. I, um, I recently did a guitar trade. It, it, it was like a, it's basically a new Fender used, so it still had the guide in it. I noticed it had like the, um, you know, there's now like a California toxic materials warning in there. I guess because uh-huh. of the coating you put on a guitar or something. <laughs> so, well, I mean, think of so how many things we've had in our world that were at the time they were introduced as being safe and the future and hey, look at this great asbestos that we have. It's the greatest insulation known to man. We're, we'll put it all over your house. And then you're like, oh, everybody's dying from it. Or, hey, would you like to check out this beautiful, freshly lead painted bedroom for your infant? You know, great, enjoy the brain damage. You know, so all of these things had kind of rolled out in the name of science or, uh, you know, technological upgrades and things like that. Not all of them were fully tested to the best of, uh, of their abilities. And some of them showed some, some real glaring uh, weaknesses, like, you know, side effects may in- include brain damage and death, things like that. So I, I would imagine that uh, if, if today Monsanto decided to roll out the home of the future, I doubt there would be very many takers interested in going through and, and walking through that, that uh, model home. What depends what incentives they give you. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of historically. I know in Japan, I think I think it's Nagoya. You know, has one one of those like pilot smart cities, which would be the modern equivalent of this, basically. Yeah. Um, Japan's weird though. The population's so much older. Like people just aren't interested. So the companies are pushing it and the older people are like, mm, whatever, we, we, we don't even know how to use a fax machine yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So it just depends on who, who, who you're targeting in, in the, uh, um, f- for these designs. But I, I thought the house could have, uh, you know, look, I actually kind of like the idea of prefabbed homes. They, they make a lot of sense. I, I work in real estate. I worked in new home sales for 10 years. So we, you know, this was, I watched them build homes. I, I sat in on, on meetings when they were talking about layout and things like that. The idea behind making a home like, like the Monsanto house of the future, where you could sort of just almost like Legos, put it together piece by piece and build it out. That actually appeals to me. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of upside to doing that. And of course I'm all for them trying new things and trying, you know, new, new insulations, new concretes, uh, things like aircrete is a new thing that's coming. We're hearing a lot, a lot about out here where it's just, it's stronger than concrete. It's not as heavy. It's not as, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't require the same elements. And, um, you know, so so the idea that you would take a scientific approach to home building isn't inherently evil. It's just modernization. But when you put Monsanto's name on it, <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just the, the first name. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's the worst branding ever. I mean, and and so, but now, of course, Monsanto isn't there. They've they've merged with Bayer. So so now you have that company, which has an equally disturbing history and a, a, a long list of products that have killed people, including, you know, being, being used in, to make the Zyklon B in World War II. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not the best people to build houses. That's all, you know, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> but um, 
for this one, actually, they did use the concept uh, when building the contemporary, I think it's the contemporary resort hotel in Florida, where they did build it modularly. I can't say that. Basically, mm -hmm. they built a gigantic A-frame and just started plugging boxes in. So mm -hmm. they, did, they yeah. did use a bit of that idea. And uh, in Japan, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, capsule hotels, kind of a... no. Oh, oh, this is, if you want to go to somewhere that feels like Monsanto, yeah, um, and for the listener or yourself, you know, later, have, have a look at an image of this, which is sort of basically drunken businessmen who don't want to show up at home like at 2 a.m. drunk. Uh -huh. So these are in Tokyo, and most of them were built in the 60s or 70s, and you go in, and it's um, like two, two rows stacked on top of each other, these capsules. So you get in, it's a bed, you probably maybe have a meter of space above you. There's a TV in there and uh, a few just it's they're all modular and a few switches and stuff. And it's pretty weird. I have seen those. I have seen those. I was wondering if that's what you were talking about. Yeah, that that's a that's a, like, well, are you tired of passing out on the train on the way home? Let us offer you this. You can stay here tonight and, and not uh, uh, and not have an embarrassment, embarrassing situation where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're still drunk on a train. Oh, you'll get embarrassing situations from the other uh, drunken patrons. <laughs> right. That's funny. The fact that there is is uh, a market for that is is equally alarming, right? That, that, that someone was like, you know what would be good? Basically like a little bigger than a coffin with some lights, a blanket and a TV, and you can get as hammered as you want. As long as you can find your way to one of these places, you'll be good for the night. I mean, I, I envision with agenda 2030 that, that the United Nations would love to take that concept and expand it out and, and have us all sleeping in those little, those little tubes at some point. I, I keep thinking of the uh, fifth element apartment. That's, that's my vision of, of that mm. future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You'll own nothing and like it. You'll be in a micro apartment. And you're instantly getting a uh, credited for driving infractions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. you'll own nothing and like it. Yeah, great. I can't wait for this but, dystopian hellscape. <laughs> but you can you can fly right by a you know massive golden arches. So. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Of no, course. We, we we had some fun getting into that one. So. Um, yeah. Just uh, yeah, another thing. I just I live in the countryside, of Japan. So myself, mm -hmm. most of my students, like, what'd you do this weekend? I went to my grandma's house. You know, there's always like the family house up in the, in the, uh, mountainside, which is, mm -hmm. you know, the complete opposite of this. <laughs> right. Everything wooden. It's, you know, the tatami, all that sort of stuff. So, um, Tokyo, you do get that a lot more of that, you know, hi-fi aesthetic, but, uh, yeah, they, they do like, they still like building things out of wood out here. So that's nice. <laughs> Yeah, well, building building things out of plastic. I mean, it depends. I suppose it depends on the on the type of plastic, but it can it can look a little cheap. You know, you you can feel like you're sleeping or living in a Tupperware container or something. You know, that that may, maybe not the best uh, um, from an aesthetic standpoint. Now, as far as like how long that house could have lasted if it if it was you know. Uh, just left there in Disneyland. I, that I wonder because since the wrecking ball couldn't take it down uh, and as, and the climate's relatively mild in Southern California, that thing might, might still be there if, uh, if they didn't jackhammer it out. I wonder if they'd get like biological hazards on it and not, not even you know, Monsanto ones. Right. Um, I was thinking, cause they have a lot of trouble with spacecraft. 
keeping like the mildew or the uh, mm -hmm. some kind of fungus from growing. So I just wonder if that much plastic would sit there and become some weird biohazard as well. <laughs> well, if it did, then Monsanto would find a way to use that and sell it, sell the biohazard to uh, farmers or other peoples that they can use to poison the world. Because as I've, as I've, I feel rightly described, Monsanto is not in the seed business. Uh, they're in the poison business. I mean, that's what they've, that's what they've always made. Their, their glyphosate is poisonous. Uh, DDT is poisonous. Um, uh, Agent Orange is poisonous. I mean, they, they're not in the chemical business necessarily. They're, they, they're, they're more closely aligned with being uh, a company that makes new and inventive ways to kill things with right. their products. Once their product gets on you, is it the small print says Monsanto owns you if you live in their house? You've been covered by their plastic materials yeah. now. <laughs> well, they they own like if you're if you're planting regular crops, if you have a, a farm with regular corn, and the farmer down the street plants his corn with Monsanto GMO seeds, and the GMO corn grows up and eventually uh, over time spreads to the existing field, Monsanto will claim ownership of that field because they will say that you're, you're growing their corn without their, uh, without, you didn't buy the seeds, their patent, and they will try to claim ownership of your field. It's really devious. And they've done this to, um, they did it in India to the point where there's been, I think, God, I know this number sounds sounds wrong, but I think hundreds of thousands of suicides of farmers from Monsanto enforcing their seed patents and making these farmers so despondent that they have nothing. Left. I know that, that number sounds insane, and I, I'm pretty sure it's right, even though it's crazy, because I remember reading something like 250,000 Indian farmers have killed themselves because of it. I, don't hold me to it. Someone, someone can fact check me on that. But, but the point is that you can't own a, a natural corn seed patent. So Monsanto changes the seed just a little bit, just enough so that it's not natural anymore. Then they take ownership of that. And if you run, you know, if you ever uh, grow their corn, you can't, they're, they're made with what they call terminator seeds that, that don't work season after season. Normally, if you grow corn or, or, or any sort of fruit or vegetable, you can, the vegetable will produce more seeds that you can then replant and keep, keep this thing grow, going, going and growing. And with Monsanto, you have to buy new seeds every year. So that's part of their business model, which is a sort of functional obsolescence of the, of the seeds. And then a hardcore psychopathic legal protection racket that just goes after anybody that is accidentally, I mean, you don't have to intentionally be growing their stuff. It could just blow by the wind into your place and start growing and they will go after you. You will get sued. So it is, it, they are a, a, a monstrous corporation that is, that is um, uh, just truly disgusting when Something they're not I, building futuristic not, houses, of course. I first came to Japan, I think 2004. And uh, that, that's when TPP was like a really on the table, right? The Trans-Pacific yeah. Partnership. And uh, as a 25, you know, very like uh, straight up, I mean, I'm still relatively I think I'm liberal, but, uh, you know, just like, you know, everything's cool. Right. So, and there's a, a lot of pushback on TPP. I thought that was weird, 
But then I did learn like that was one of the big concerns that Japanese farmers were like, well, we, we've had this, you know, these strains of rice seeds for like thousands of years. We don't really want to bring other stuff in. Yeah. They're smart to do that too, because the Philippines didn't do that. They allowed golden rice in and it decimated their whole rice production. So, I mean, it, first of all, it never, it never produces the sort of yields that they say it's going to. And I'm no farmer, but I mean, just, just, I'm just a guy that's written about Monsanto. Um, it never produces to the, to the extent that they say it's going to. And, and it's, it's not real food. I mean, it's fake food. It, it's not nutritious. And they did the same thing with the Filipino farmers. They just went in there and, and enforced, strictly enforced these patents. And, um, you know, the people said, we don't want this. We don't want, I think Russia has said, was it Russia or China? One of those two. Um, I think China took a, a had a, a boatload of GMO food came over and on the docks, they just burned it all. Um, and I know that Russia has banned GMOs from their country as well. So it's not like, it's not like they're safe because they're not. When they did the GMO testing on rats, they found that half of the rats that they gave the GMO, uh, GMO uh, crops to developed massive tumors and wound up dying. You know, that was not good. Uh, it's almost the same story as when they developed uh, or when GD Serral, that company developed um, aspartame. Same thing kind of happened. And yet, if you know the right people in government, you can get these things passed through and, 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 and brought to market, even if they're poisonous and killing the test subjects because we, we live here in the United States in some weird, uh, I don't know, corporatism, corporatist state where big business runs the show. And if you've got a big business with a lot of money and politicians in your pocket, then you can basically do whatever you want. Didn't the uh, aspartame finally go through with a change in director? Uh, I, I can't bring yes. up the names, but someone that was uh, quite quite more um, open to that idea. Or yeah, well, the they they, flow. <laughs> they 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 tried for almost a decade to get aspartame passed. They did so many. They, I mean, it was the the studies were so horrible that it was it was it, in that case. I remember that half the rats died from it. And, uh, and they started faking the tests and they were getting caught by the FDA and the FDA was saying, not only are we not approving this, we're one step away from putting all of you people in prison for this. And they kept trying over and over again. They couldn't get this thing approved. I, they, they never gave up. Instead, they went out and hired Donald Rumsfeld to be their CEO. And once Donald Rumsfeld became CEO, it magically got passed through. And he put $11.5 million in his pocket for that. And then it went into Diet Coke and then it went into everything. And I drank Diet Coke for a long, long time. I quit drinking it about 10 years ago, but I would get, I would get massive headaches from it. And I'd be like, God, I think I drink too. And then I read the story of, you know, the history of it. And I thought, what am I doing? This, I got to find something else. So I quit drinking it and, and my headaches went away. Imagine that. I'm sure I'll probably have tumors like the rats did. But, and I'm sure Donald Rumsfeld won't care, uh, but uh, that's that's you know the big agri companies, the these chemical companies, they they have so much influence and so much power that that you would think, oh, this is insanity. We can't allow any of this stuff to happen. They'll never, you know, they would never approve this, right? If if the tests come in and show how dangerous it is, they would never approve it. That's what we have the FDA for, right? They regulate this stuff. 
no, no, that they, none of that stuff matters. If you know the right people or you have, the, if you have Donald Rumsfeld as your CEO, who, who, by the way, what does he know about running a chemical company? He was the secretary of defense. It, it, of course, you don't need to know anything about it. You just need to know the right people. So he was brought in for his Rolodex and of course it worked. So, so in the end they won, right? Kind of disgusting. Yeah. Um, just going back to Monsanto, I, that's, that's why the branding works now because they've changed with Bayer. They've changed the name of that division as well. And I can't remember for my life what it is now, like Riviera or something. <laughs> They can they can change these names uh, and they do uh, as much as they'd like, but you know, people people know who they are and uh, the word gets out and the, the but but in the end, you know, people just see Roundup. They go, oh, Roundup, it kills weeds and everything. Um, you know, M Monsanto has their name on it, but you know, not not in big bold letters because they have such a, a horrible reputation here in the states. But uh, they. They 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 make billions of dollars from that, and I think I think that people, you know, some of us know about it, and some of us have a moral hesitation to use products made by companies like that. But you know, in the end, it's kind of hard to do that. It's kind of hard to completely get away from that because so many people don't care or don't know. They don't they don't hear about it on their nightly news. They don't know what's happening. They don't hear about the glyphosate. Uh, which is the main active ingredient in Roundup that's uh, causing so many problems. They don't hear necessarily about the massive uh, lawsuit that was settled in favor of this this gentleman that won like, uh, I think he won a quarter of a billion dollars in damages, which is great, but he'll be dead in, in a year. I mean, he's he's got massive cancers all over him from, from inhaling this stuff. But um, the only time Americans really ever hear about stuff like that is far after the fact when you turn on daytime television and the commercials are from lawyer uh, lawyer groups saying, have you been damaged by asbestos? Please call our, our hotline for our class action lawsuit, blah, 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 blah. Do you have mesothelioma? Oh, it's might be from this drug or do you have, you know, you name it. So We'll eventually, we're just starting to hear about, I'm just starting to see the commercials for, were you injured by glyphosate? Please join our, our class action lawsuit. So, you know, eventually after they've made billions of dollars, they'll, they'll, they may wind up in some lawsuit where their product gets, uh, you know, brought to the forefront and, and thousands of people sue them for, a, you know, a couple billion dollars. But in the end, you know, it's just the cost analysis. They go, well, how much does it cost to settle this? How much did we make on it? How many fines do we have to pay? Yeah, it still worked out really well for us in the long term. Our our stock has tripled over the years, so who cares? You know, so there's there's really no there's really no financial disincentive for these companies because, um, and it's the same with the big banks too. You know, you you make a hundred billion dollars running some scam rigging marketplaces, and then you pay a two billion dollar fine. Really. I mean, why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you continue doing that? <laughs> you know, look at how much money you made from it. So, so companies like Monsanto, Bayer, uh, all the big banks, these, um, these in in institutions and industries that have really horrible reputations, they all are extremely profitable too. So they don't necessarily care so much that they have a, a you know, a stigma attached to their name. If it becomes too big of a problem, just change your name. Easy. Uh, of course, with the House of the Future, 
that's when they were trying to do do a PR campaign to make their name sound great. And uh, I, I don't know if you ran across these. They did have a couple other attractions. Uh, one of them ha has a very the very nefarious sounding name of the Monsanto Hall of Chemistry. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's fun hall. Yeah, yeah double checking there. <laughs> yeah, uh, because because what do kids love when they go to an amusement park? The Hall of Chemistry, right? Who would go was, to that? That's like it, where old, that's where you go when you, that's when you go, that's where you go when the Matterhorn has a three hour line. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa where are we going? Let's go to the Hall of Chemistry. Actually, back then, it wasn't pay your ticket to get in Disneyland and you can go to all the rides. It was, you had to get uh, different tickets for different rides. There was like E ticket rides and B ticket rides and things like that. So, if you wanted to go to like the Monsanto House of the Future, something tells me that that was the cheapest ticket to buy to get into that because really like, do kids want to see the House of the Future? Probably something that the parents uh, might do while the kids were, were at Space Mountain or something. But uh, the Hall of Chemistry sounds, uh, frankly, it sounds quite boring at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the arcade is right next door, <laughs> by the way, what the way everything was laid out mm -hmm. in Tomorrowland, the arcade, I don't know if it was there at the time, but right now the arcade's right there. So it's like, uh, would you like to go to the arcade or would you like to go to the, the hall of chemistry brought to you by Monsanto? Gee, <laughs> let me think. That one, I that one was an opening attraction. I think it was um, basically they built the thing so fast they couldn't actually plan everything properly, so they just they had to rush it. Um, but hey, Monsanto's got your back. Uh, Ten years after this one, in the '60s, they had the Adventure Through Inner Space. Still, still had their name on the sign, but they at least kept it out of the name that time. And uh, one of the big things there is it didn't require a ticket, I believe. So. Oh, nice. They well, really want they, well they really wanted you to hear their name at that time. I, well that would have been 1967, right when uh you know Agent Orange was starting to make itself known. So it's like, "Hey, quick, give them a free ride." Yeah. Well, we're going to have this is going to we're going to simulate Vietnam. What we're going to do is we're going to have you guys sit in these virtual rice patties and we're going to come over and spray you with this uh with it'll just be water in, in, at disneyland but uh just pretend like it's agent orange and then pretend like 10 years later when you have kids your kids are completely deformed enjoy that you know that's it's the uh, soren soren attraction right <laughs> <laughs> they they you know they have you going over a um vineyard and they're pumping in like the smell of orange so <laughs> right, right. <laughs> probably literally doing that <laughs> Look, it's we're defoliating all of these trees so that we can see the gooks. You're like, what? <laughs> that's like back then. That's how it was. I mean, it's it's a really, you know, we 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 joke about it because it's it's so preposterous, really. But like, that takes it takes a a really sick mind to come up with the idea of you know, we're losing this or we're in this battle in Vietnam and the, the North Vietnamese are in the trees and it's hard to see because there's trees everywhere. So let's find a chemical that will make all the leaves fall out of the trees so that we can see everybody and then shoot them. I mean, you have to be psychopathic and just an enemy of humanity to come up with something like that. And yet, you know, here we are. That is something that uh, left millions of people, multi-generational birth defects from that sort of stuff. It's just the most reprehensible thing 
ever for what, what the United States did to Vietnam is, is unforgivable, you know, and, 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 and to take it a step further than later in Iraq using depleted uranium, you know, I mean that I think Monsanto was probably frustrated that they didn't come up with the idea of depleted uranium first, you know, I mean, there, someone beat them to the punch because that seems like something that would have been right up their alley. But, but, but to see those pictures of, of what agent orange did, not just to, you know, to American soldiers too, you know, a lot of people suffering from, from those, those illnesses when they got back, uh, the army was never forthright with, with how dangerous that stuff was. And, uh, you know, the government of course just goes, Oh, well, we didn't know. Yeah, of course you knew, you know, everybody knows, you, you know, when you're spraying this stuff, I mean, and it comes out in like a gigantic orange fog you can see. And that is, uh, it's just it's just unforgivable what we did to to the to the people of of Vietnam in the name of saving them from communism by what giving them birth defects. Oh, and you're bullets. welcome. Yeah, I was, I was sitting here thinking like, yeah, and all, all of those reprehensible decisions are, you know, after the event of war. Oh, sorry, a police action. That wasn't a war. Police action. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, okay, we got the basic problem here. What, what, I, I guess that's once we're, you know, murdering each other and it's okay because it's a war. Now we can start doing some more horrible stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, you, allow, if you allow the government, especially the American government, to talk you into a war, they will... It, it will always end with atrocities. And, you know, we've got that picture in our heads of, or that image that's kind of burned into everybody's brains of the, the naked girl in Vietnam running down the street, you know, screaming uh, as the, as you can see the village behind just, you know, like on fire. I mean, what, are, what, what have we become, you know, as a, as a, as a nation, as a society, like what I, I get it that the soldiers didn't have a say in this, you know, you get shipped off and you, it's not their idea to be there, but it was somebody's idea to be there. And it all started from a fake, you know, a false flag, not even a real event, the Gulf of Tonkin event, the, the ship being shot at by a Vietnamese PT boat, which never happened. And that was the pretext that then, started this war that killed millions of people killed almost 60,000 American service people. And just at atrocious. Yeah. It's to blow my mind. That's what Jim Morrison's daddy was the commander of that particular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That boat's wild. So yeah. 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 I've I met a guy named Mark Devlin. He's a, he's a British DJ who's written a couple books called musical truths, volume one and two. Uh, we were speakers at a Narcopulco and I watched his presentation on on um rock stars and their cia slash military connected parents man after i mean because you, you know he's talking about jim morrison and his dad he's talking about the police all the members of the police Stuart copeland and, and their their parents ties to um mi6 and mi5 and and, and all, i mean he went on, he had 30 minutes but he could have gone for four hours and uh, it was really fascinating so much of what we think is organic and and real is not so many of these people that we think are like accidental rock stars or not you know they're sort of placed there and uh to and, and to hear him talking about the gulf of tonkin incident and have admiral morrison being involved in that jim morrison's dad oh you just go whoa is that a coincidence <laughs> and it might be a coincidence until you 
string four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of, of, of these people together. And you go, I don't think it's a coincidence anymore. I think there might be something a little bit more of this planning to it. So it's, it's very, very disturbing. Have you um, seen the once upon a time in Hollywood film that touches on the Laurel yeah. Canyon scene and the Manson scene and all that? Yeah. To point where yeah. It's like, it just assumes you already know this stuff. If you don't know it, it's a pretty confusing movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, if you don't know what's going on, then you're like you. None of the none of the characters make sense. None of the you know where the where this house is doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, that's a uh, Dave McGowan wrote a, a a book about that that was uh, that really sort of exposed that that Laurel Canyon uh, Hollywood hippie scene. And I lived in L.A. for a long, long time. Went to USC, and uh, I know that area pretty well. It, it you know must've been an interesting, fascinating time to be there. You know, you get the beach boys and all, all kinds of, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, uh, you know, all, all coming together and, and the Eagles and the doors. And I mean, what a crazy, fascinating time to be in LA. Uh, but, uh, but then once you, once you dig into it and you find out how, uh, how dirty all that stuff is, makes you, makes you think like exactly how much of this was, was organic and how much of this was made to happen. And, and, um, and I, I don't know, it's, it's just an interesting, uh, uh, interesting take. I thought Quentin Tarantino did, you know, he did his thing. He made it, he made it gory <laughs> at the end, you know, in a way that only he can. Um, but yeah, looking back on all that, uh, uh the sixties Hollywood, man, what a trip, huh? Uh, I wonder really, if I wonder what they would have thought of Monsanto's House of the Future. <laughs> oh, they would have been tripping. It would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And, yeah, and they would the, have been... the adventure through inner space. My God, that was like the trippiest ride ever. Had yeah, yeah. Time. It made you super small in the yeah. end. You know, like you come out and you're like, whoa, look at everybody so small. Yeah. Apparently the that Omni like... movies were curved. It was also like like the makeout spot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was like uh it was like if you if like if Honey Sh I Shrunk the Kids was a ride, you know. It was kind of, it was that, but that was a long, I, I, I totally forgot about that uh, until I started watching that, that, uh, the documentary on the Monsanto house. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember it was a long time ago and I think it's since been replaced by, I think it's Star Tours. Oh yeah. It's Star Tours <laughs> now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in that same spot, but, um, which is great. Star Tours is, is fantastic. Way better than that, uh, than that, uh lame monsanto unless you want ride. to make out in their plastic omni mover <laughs> hard hard to do that in star tours unless you want to like chip a tooth or something <laughs> there's a lot um, of uh gyrations and tilting of the floor in that star tours uh ride yeah just speaking of frames of mind um one other movie i, I just wanted to bring up was was the monkey's head i don't, I don't know if you've seen this one it's no very obscure one and um it was made after their tv show so their career was kind of like iffy at this point after they had been you know like the laurel canyon pretty boys for a few years like on top of i mean you know as far as status that maybe mm -hmm. musically people are like whatever the monkeys but as far as laurel canyon royalty they're doing quite well so yeah. they make this movie it's just like this surreal series of skits that are barely connected but it's it's kind of um the movie starts with mickey dolan's like running off a bridge and like jumping off and becoming a porpoise <laughs> <laughs> and, then, wow. and it just goes from there but um throughout the movie like there's all these weird sketches you know like like an acid trip and they keep getting put back into this like metaphysical box 
like this black space, which is this box that they just keep getting put into. So, you know, when, when you are familiar with the scene and you watch it, you're like, okay, this is fascinating. That's funny. They were, they must, there must have been a lot of drugs involved in that, but they're, but you know, when they, when they have the bands and they try to make movies out of them, I mean, when they've got the, I mean, not, not movies about bands, but I mean, movies starring bands like kiss in central park, <laughs> like that was pretty dumb. I mean, oh, the one, I, and the most important thing of the monkey's head written by Jack Nicholson. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so apparently they, they went out to like a motel with him and all dropped acid and he wrote the movie with them. So, <laughs> Wow. Uh, Didn't get an Academy Award for that. That's just they did not get an Academy Award for it, but it's yeah, it's definitely a fascinating. That actually, that's one that I'll be doing on this podcast at some point. It's weird enough to count as experimental. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's crazy. I didn't. uh, I you know the only time I remember them, I just remember the monkey show with them like running with this bed that had wheels on it, right, pushing it down the street. I just remember that thinking, this is. This is unusual. This is weird. But it was a little, <laughs> little before my, a little bit before my time musically. But yeah, I remember who they were. They were, a, they were, they were a big. I, apparently, a, a quite a big deal. I mean, big enough that they had TV shows and movies. I mean, who greenlights that movie, right? Some, some. That's why it ended their career. <laughs> right. <laughs> whoever, whoever greenlit the movie, it probably ended their career too. That's funny. We have to see, I have to see that, but you know, I would have to be in the right mood to see that movie. Yeah, if you sure. know what I mean? <laughs> um, grab a bag of mushrooms and enjoy that thing. That's probably not the worst idea. Yeah. <laughs> and oh yeah, it's Colorado too. It's uh, not so hard. See Japan is, is, that doesn't happen here. That's, that's the price you pay living in Japan. Yeah. Well here it just got decriminalized. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> yeah. So that's we actually, can, we, we can do it. I actually know some guys that are growing, growing. Yeah. Actually, Japan, it did not become illegal till about 2003, I think. Which, oh, yeah. And that was because of the World Cup. So one of my friends, he started living in Japan like 99. So he was, you know, legally bouncing around town for a couple of years. And the World Cup came and I ended the trip. <laughs> Literally. Wow. The, the World Cup. Uh, I, I don't normally think of the World Cup as being a, a mushrooms adjacent no, it's because they had such an international crowd coming. They wanted to like save face. They were afraid like, you know, Americans would come and be like judgmental because it was you know, uh, uh, still legal. Like they were, they were worried about the international visitors, which I, I guess they gotcha. don't have to worry about for this Olympics. Right. They just said international visitors for this, this coming Olympics. Uh, stay home. We don't want you. Yeah. It, the, the politics here with that are so weird because it, Japan's just bent on it. I think there's so much political face riding on having the Olympics now. Like, yeah. you know, they just are going to do it hell or high water. So, well, did they spend, I mean, like most cities that host the Olympics wind up building out all this infrastructure and it never like pays itself off. It never works. Did Japan build a ton, need to build a ton of infrastructure for that? There's a whole book you can look up about that sort of thing called uh, Dogs and Demons. Uh, Mm -hmm. I forget the author, but this is the 80s and 90s. Sorry, this is not modern, but um, when Japan had their bubble period, they just had tons Mm -hmm. of money and they just went building these giant concrete, like brutalist structures everywhere and, you know, just massive highways. So like even a small town tends to have like this rather large auditorium. 
mm-hmm. which uh, before Koga, I was playing orchestras, so that was nice because we always had nice places to play. But they just spent all this money building public structures. And uh, for the Olympics, uh, yeah, um, of course, they spent a ton of money on that. I was reading, I mean, you know, the national government can probably like flow with it. But I was reading an article uh, yesterday in the Japan Today, I think, um, where a bunch of towns, apparently um, towns will host an Olympic team. Like if the, you're the um, Rwandan swimming team, like a town will be like, come here, you know, hang out. And it was talking about what towns are doing. So one town had spent $5 million, up, you know, small town, uh, you spent $5 million or 500 million yen. I forget exactly how that, $50 million? Anyway, the point is they spent a bunch of money um, building infrastructure, making their sports centers better, and well, no one's coming now. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, ta- a town not far from me, there I, I don't think they'd spend that kind of money, but they're just like, well, we're just going to put up, um, you know, posters of this particular tennis team all around town that was supposed to be here. <laughs> Go team! Yeah, right? yeah. So then, but, then does that town that town is supposed to sort of embrace this foreign country's tennis team? Is that it? Is that the right? The team was. Before the Olympics, the team was supposed to be able like, to kind of come, come out there, there train. Um, actually, about mm, 10 kilometers from here is uh, Sugadaira, which is like rugby central. Like all the rugby teams were going to go there or mm. go, like half of them probably. But yeah, so I know they're they're eating it right now because they, they would have been expecting a, a lot of uh, tourists and, and, you know, foreign visitors from the Olympic teams. So I just yeah. hope the hamburger shop makes it through because it's the best hamburger around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, the Olympics are always, um, you know, they they at least at least in the states. As you, you're you're from Atlanta, is that right? Yes, I was. Oh, I I didn't even realize Eastwood made a movie about Richard Jewell because I had been at Centennial Park watching a concert at that pylon, and about mm-hmm. the time I was getting on the train is when the bomb went off. <laughs> so no if kidding. I, if I'd stayed there thirty minutes later, I, I well, I think one person died, so I guess I might not get killed but hey could have gotten an injury and it certainly would have been a a bit of a trauma <laughs> wow yeah that's it was, crazy it was Santana or brian setzer that was playing just before that i don't remember which they had a lot of free concerts up to that point <laughs> they did <Yeah>. after that <laughs> yeah after that th- funny things things changed yeah i remember i remember watching that i remember watching that i was living in hermosa beach watching that go oh bomb in the olympics that's crazy like Personally, hey, maybe that might be the point where, you know, I guess people usually are like Patriot 9-11s, like where the security state really kicks in. But for me, I was like having a nice freewheeling time at the Olympics. And after that, you know, it was very cracked down. So, yeah, you couldn't just stroll around, have fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the the any of those events, like the Olympics, the World Cup, things like that, you get enough people together. Yeah. If somebody wants to make a, a a statement, some government wants to set off some false flag, you know, it's always a it's like it's like having an international stage because you know every country will report on it, and uh, and I always get a little a little uncomfortable when I'm around uh, major events like that or major you know sporting events like yeah. that. I worked in sports for a long long time, and so we would go to all these big events, and uh, it always made me a little uneasy because you know it's just such a a prime target for anybody doing something stupid to really get a whole lot of notoriety on an international level. So, Just to tie the circle a little more, uh, the IOC was actually quite unhappy with Atlanta's handling of the Olympics because it was so corporate. (laughs) Like, Ah. 
behind that stage, they basically had built like a little mini corporate world's fair, like these two giant tents. And yeah, I, I, I remember there's a big, because the head like is always supposed to say like, this is the best Olympics ever. And he did not say that for Atlanta, which was seen as like a giant snub. Wow. <laughs> So, but hey, I had a good time there till the bombs went off. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always a good time until the bombs go off. But then when the bombs go off, it's time to go home. That's crazy that you made it out of there in uh, just in advance of that. Did you were you a suspect for leaving oh. 30 minutes early? Oh no, no, I was a high schooler with high schooler kids. They were <laughs> they were not really <laughs> pegging us. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess where you, were you? Get, yeah, you get you got some high high schoolers up to no good. <laughs> Yeah, now these days they'd be like, well, your cell phone showed that you were there and then you left a little early. So we want to question you about why you did you have advanced knowledge of this? Like, no, just lucky. I would have given them bad report anyway. I've only had to give a, the report to a police once because we saw basically saw um playing a gig and a, a cop wiped out because someone made a turn and we had to give a statement. And apparently my statement was so crap. They never talked to me again. <laughs> a friend that was a friend that I got the name of the street wrong and several other things. <laughs> my yeah. other my other friend gave a good statement and he had to come back in to answer answer questions for the next like two years. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a lesson to everybody. Be be like yeah yeah. Did you see the suspect? Yeah, he was kind of tall, or maybe he was kind of short. I mean, he was kind of dark complexion in some parts but light complexion they're like get out of here my mom did that my mom said that she was um um brought in for jury duty and they were asking her questions you know are, would you say that you know you know they were asking yes or no uh questions and she was being intentionally indecisive she would say oh yes well i don't know no no i don't know and they're like, get her out of here. <laughs> this is gonna be, we don't want this lady. She can't make her up her mind on anything. She's like, that's how you get out of jury duty. I was like, oh, interesting. Didn't all right on. I think I never <laughs> actually made it all the way to the courthouse for that. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. No, he's good. Ah, we got too many people a day. Just stay home. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've had that a couple times too. They're like, oh, I, I did. They brought me in for a potential jury duty. You know, to to go through the whole thing. They said no. This case is going to be for a triple murder and you're probably going to be needed for the next, I mean, honestly, at least two months. I was like, I'm self-employed. I can't do this. And they're like, oh, okay, well then you're out. Like, That's it? That's <laughs> oh, all I had to great. say? And they're like, yeah, you're out. If you're self-employed and you can't, I go, okay, bye. There, and that was it. So it's not exactly the most rigorous system I've ever seen. Right. How do we get on this topic? I don't know. That's fine. I'm all, we're all into tangents. It's cool. <laughs> but, um, I, I probably should wind it down since, uh, I, I often have in the morning, I, I time this, I, I give myself an hour and then I run for the train and I go to work. So, <laughs> yeah, well, so well, it's look, I mean, I, I'm, I always, if we have great talks, I, I know that you had Ken Ami on. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> twice. He's great, man. He's, uh, we, I've had him on my show and then, uh, we, I, I think that's a, where I heard him to be honest, and then a group show. That, I think so. I'm going to told you about him too. Yeah. He's, he's written a bunch of crazy books, man. He's into, he, he, he can, he can give you a good, a good movie breakdown. He actually had me write a breakdown for his, for his book. Um, he wanted me to do a, a, a take a movie that deals with aliens, uh, and do a chapter for his book. So I picked the movie contact 
which is the only alien movie that has no aliens in it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Actually, and, you're sitting uh, right behind me here. <laughs> yeah. And I did a, a, a full breakdown for him and, uh, and sent it off. So I don't know if, if that book has come out yet or not, but I was, I was, I was obviously flattered that he asked me to do that. And I thought it was funny because the movie I picked as I, as I watched it and then I watched it again, I had seen it before, but as I watched it the second time, I was like, no actual aliens in this one, just the <laughs> idea of aliens. So I am doing a book report essentially about aliens on a movie about aliens that doesn't ever show one. And he was like, that's perfect. He's like, I like it. That's crazy, but it's, it, it works. So <laughs> the, the South Park line at the time was it waited through the whole movie. It was just your dad at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly. I think the line was actually more obscene than that, but I don't remember what it was. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we traumatized him a little bit by making him watch A Clockwork Orange again. So, <laughs> Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's a good one. But yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually, your, your new book, I, it takes, I'm a fast reader, but yeah, it takes me about five months to work through your books because you do have to put them down sometimes. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I, they're, they're a bit heavy duty. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Oh, if Sometimes. I could give you your plug spot for that and where people can get into that oh, stuff sure. in your podcast. Yeah, I Actually, I got it right here. Controlled Dem the Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. I wrote this with Jeff Berwick, the founder of the Dollar Vigilante and Anarchapulco. And that came out the Friday before the elections here in the States. And on Tuesday, which was election day, it, it became a number one bestseller. And the irony that if you read this book, you'll never vote again. <laughs> you know, that it happened on election day. Jeff and I were like, it's perfect. It's perfect that the timing was, was such. So people can find that on Amazon. They can find The Octopus of Global Control on Amazon, as well as at my website of the same name, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. And the podcast is Macroaggressions. It's available wherever podcasts are served and also in video format in places like Rockfin and David Icke's video platform, Iconic, YouTube, and Odyssey. Uh, you got it so much more down than I do. I, I stutter through this. So <laughs> this, this podcast is Oral Hygiene Pod at Twitter or Facebook. Um, that's and if you're listening to it wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I talk sci-fi movies with my buddy Luke at Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary, which is MLSF Pod at Twitter, Facebook, and the like. And that that's all. All these podcasts are, are wrapped up under some side of name now. But I only see the first part of the name. It's Podcastio Podcastius, I think. It's like it's like the the page will not show me the end of the word. So yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I always enjoy our, our conversations. We yeah, get yeah. into some. We get Thanks into some for coming again, and yeah, if, if you do have a weird educational film or something you want to dig into, sure. Because uh, I mean, Monsanto, of course, it's fun to rag on them, but it, it it's beating a dead horse a little bit. But it's a, I a guess it's, it's a pretty fun dead horse to beat on them from time to time because they're so deserving of it. So of course. Of course. Yeah. They're, they're, they really are uh, one of the worst companies in the world. And, uh, and for those that don't know it now, you know. Okay. So everyone stay away from those horrible plastic chemicals and that giant Island of plastic in the center of the Pacific. Yes.
Did you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done.